and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week and I guide you gently through the first show after summer. Hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend. Not too unhappy about summer finishing, no more summer Fridays, kids back to school, all work, no play for the next four months. Well, not quite. We'll find some fun. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a big, big four months for PR Week and the industry. So we're going to chat a bit about that with our special co-host today. It's PR Week, Diana. It's Diana Bradley. How are you doing, Diana? Been a long time <laughs> since I've been on the show with you. I'm good, thank you. Is that I'm, all you've got I'm to say? I'm pleased to be back. Yes, and, um, your, your fans, yeah. your legions of fans are pleased as well. So uh, we'll get <laughs> uh, sure. get the lowdown on some stories about Audi, unifying Marcoms, Barry Rafferty, new job, NFL, big, big sports fan, Diana. So uh, we'll get into that, the big kickoff on Thursday. Ros Brewer out at Walgreens as CEO. Parrotheads a morning, Jimmy Buffett who actually wrote a song about PR, so um, we'll talk about that. Weber has outlined its uh, return to office policy post-Labor Day, and Grant Deedee's being promoted at Zeno. But uh, first of all, let's chat to our special guest. It's Kyle Monson, who's a founding partner at Codeword, which is a content and PR agency. Kyle, and you're part of We Communications. Welcome to the show. How are well, you doing? Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. In the studio, live in Chelsea. Everyone's back. Everyone's in the office. Full-time Friday, or full-time full fall. Yes, full-time fall. Full-time fall. We'll get into all that. <laughs> but um, tell us a bit about Codeword. Maybe people don't know that it's part of We Communications. I don't know. But uh, tell us what Codeword's all about and how you came about and how you interact with uh, WeComs. Sure. Yeah, Codeword is, uh, we're in that sweet spot where we're not, we're not a little boutique shop. We're not one of the global giants. We're about 100 people. Uh, we got acquired by We Communications about four years ago. Shout out to Melissa and the Wii team. Um, yep. And we focus on uh, comms, content, and community, our three Cs, uh, mostly for tech companies. But, you know, every company wants to be a tech company these days. So that's expanding out into finance and consumer goods and, you know, on from there. That. And out of your 100 people, where how many are based... Uh, on the East Coast and how many in the West? What's your focus? We're pretty spread around at this point. You know, we kind of were seeds in the wind during COVID. Uh, we've probably got 60 in New York City, bunch in Boston, bunch in LA, San Francisco, Texas, Salt Lake City, a couple in Florida. We're, we're kind of all over the place at this point. And I would say the thing that really sets us apart is probably a third of our team are former journalists. We've got a really great editorial team that you know, I don't want to say we're a life raft for a struggling industry, but we we take a lot of journalists and <laughs> don't reduce us to tears. At I'm the start sorry, of the sorry. We'll Kyle. get to that in a minute. But helping helping journalists transition because they're quite effective communicators, great at content development. You know, they've got some. Yeah, and they like to eventually get a proper salary. So I hear you. <laughs> I, I hear you. Well, um, I think in the PR context, they've also got some advantages over traditional marketing copywriters, where you know, copywriters are are bred and trained to sell, sell, sell. Our journalists are they're truth tellers. They yeah, they know story how to tell the story. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. And being a tech agency with most well, more of your stuff on the East Coast, what difference does that make? You know, people generally associate tech with the West Coast, don't they? Yeah. But as you said, every company's trying to be a tech company now. So how do, how does that change things? Well, I, it's that's a good question. I, I do think that we're a little bit outside of the 
a Silicon Valley bubble, which I don't think is unhealthy because most of the journalists, even in the tech world, a lot of the journalists are here on the East Coast. So we'd rather, you know, keep ourselves related to the media out here than maybe, you know, the bubble that lives in Palo Alto and San yeah. Francisco. Um, because that's that bubble has changed a lot, hasn't it? The media landscape out there—it sure has, yeah. Certainly, looking from the outside, the t I'm not saying TechCrunch isn't still important or uh, all the other titles that sort of fed off that ecosystem, but they don't seem to be quite as important as they used to be. I don't know if I'm, I'm just uh, making that up. I think that the the tech industry in California has changed, and I think it's gone in a very kind of anti-media, anti-journalist direction, mm. which. You know, we've managed to resist a little bit more on the East Coast, you know, which is good for both as journalists and as PR folks. You know, yeah, yeah. it's good for us. And I think it's better for society, too. Um, I agree. Although I think it's a bad look for Silicon Valley. I mean, I remember when Andreessen Horowitz, uh, they're, they're chief proponents of that view, aren't they? That, right. uh, they want uh, journalists to basically be cheer cheerleaders. And I remember when they set their own content operation up and uh, they were all over Clubhouse with it, if anyone remembers Clubhouse. They had days off and holidays. They, do, they, didn't, they weren't, didn't act like a, an, a proper media organization, and it's, uh, it's kind of founded a bit. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Well, and I think that they've, they've tried to set up an end around, Andreessen especially, advising their startup clients. You don't have to go through the media. You can set up your own content operations, which, as a content agency, I'm like, yeah, you can. I'm skeptical of the idea that audiences trust brands the way they would trust, you know, respected mediaries. And for a long time, that's been the media. Maybe that's more influencers now. But either way, you need a, you, you know, the voices of outsiders are still very important for validating a brand story. Their yeah, purpose, it, all that. it's part of that peso mix, isn't it? Right. Pay, pay and shared and owned, and you need yeah. all the bits. Um, so yeah, and how do you so how do you mix that together? Because you've you're doing content, you're doing PR, you're doing mm -hmm. social. How do you mix, give us, can you talk about a specific client and what you did in, to bring all that together to, to be effective? Sure. I think, you know, our, our kind of tentpole clients are Google. We've worked with them for over a decade, Qualcomm over a decade relationship, uh, YouTube, Snapchat, um, you know, a lot of the big tech companies and then quite a lot of smaller ones that you've never heard of or ones that just exited or just went public. Um, you know, we tend to play in the, C round, D round startup space where they've got enough money to afford an agency mm. like us. And I think, you know, for the first five years of our existence, there was a pretty clear dividing line. We had content clients and we had PR clients. Um, and content is like, you know, social, blog posts, speech writing, exec comms, all that stuff. And I think just over the past five years, <laughs> we've started to land the idea more with clients that, no, 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 guys, this is like one thing. Those three C's, content, community, and uh, comms, they're way more efficient and more effective if you smash them together. You know, three fourths of that peso, <laughs> of that peso model should really be under you know a single comms head on the on the client side, and you can get a lot more efficiency on the agency side if you smash them together too. Well, even the paid bit now is becoming it is yeah handled out of the PR um, right. department, which is you know is, is a big change over twenty years ago. And for us, and I think for listeners, it's. That shift has been great towards integrated comms because, you know, I don't think the advertising agencies can go on this journey. You know, marketing is moving in a faster, more efficient, more responsive audience led direction. That's not really what big brand agencies are equipped to do. So, you know, 
some of the ad agencies say that they do this stuff, but really they're trying to chase the consulting dollars these days as their traditional business dries up, which to us leaves a huge, you know, greenfield opportunity for PR agencies to move in and be like, we're fast, we're nimble. We can be the integrating force on your marketing side. Yeah. And what, talking about where the budgets come from, are you dipping into different budgets? So you might yeah. dip into a bit of comms, a bit of media, a bit of marketing. Yeah. And I think the, the forward thinking CMOs are looking across their org and saying, we can't have these silos. You guys, you have to work together. I know you don't, you're not traditionally friends maybe on the owned and earned side, but you know, you got to play nice. The comms and the content need to work together if we're going to get what we need out of our marketing program. Um, and that's been, you know, it's been a learning process, I would say, over the past 20 years. Um, yeah. I'm interested in your perspective on that, too. But um, we're seeing that that pitch has gotten a lot easier over the past five years. People are coming around to the idea. Yeah, I think brand, when we had our brand film festival for many years, and you saw the quality of film um, evolve significantly from slightly sales-oriented, almost long ads. Yeah into where they felt they had to shove the brand in there, you know, right up front. And you're like, oh, there's the brand, you know. Yeah. And then they realized that wasn't effective, that, that they need to tell a story. And by doing that effectively, you got a much bigger lift and people stayed with it longer. And, and we've seen that for, for sure. And, I you get, know, there's, if I can go one more further, I think there, there was a trend a while ago where PR agencies were winning awards for brand campaigns. And now ad agencies are winning awards for comms campaigns. So mm. I, I feel like the tide has really shifted in, in the direction of PR and comms and fast-moving marketing. Yeah, and the clients just want the people they work with best and who come up with the best ideas and the most creative and deliver. So, yeah. yeah. I guess the question on everyone's lips this year especially is what difference is AI going to make to this world? Mm. Why don't you talk to us a bit about that and how, it, how you're reflecting that or thinking about that at CodeWord? Yeah, we're in a... We're in an interesting position because so many of our clients are leaders in the AI, in the AI space, yeah. um, which puts us in a position where we kind of have to be tech optimists. You know, I, I can't go slagging AI in the spaces where I talk because, you know, I've got Google, I've got Qualcomm, all these leaders who are, who are doing real breakthroughs. Um, we've been messing around this year with the generative AI tools every agency has. I think, so back in January... We hired the first, we called them non-human interns. Uh, we basically tapped uh, ChatGPT and Stable Diffusion for an editorial intern and a design intern that weren't real. They were just, you know, models built on these generative See, uh, Diana, algorithms. we're being taken over by robots. It's, Frank, <laughs> Frank was right, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. Um, he the, welcomes the robots, though. So. <laughs> he does. We, we had some fun with them a couple months ago. We fired them. Um, well, oh. they, they kind of left of their own accord, but they started their own shop, which was kind of a fun little stunt. So <laughs> they created their own press release and their own website and went off on their own. Um, so I think we're, we're in the space. We're having some fun with it. We're not feeling very threatened by it. Um, I think a lot of the talk has been, what is this going to do to our jobs? Um, and, you know, every day there's some new press release or some new announcement about an AI company that can make a better media list, you know, proofread your press release, help you sharpen your pitch for journalists. Um, I personally think that's great. I don't think that replaces our jobs because I don't think those are, those should be the the core parts of our jobs. Um, yeah, in the theory is it enables you to concentrate on the higher value stuff. I think um, so, and I hope so. And I think yeah. in, in journalism too, you know, it can it take a 800-word press release and turn that into a 300-word blog post? Yeah, it's actually quite good at that. Is that what journalism is? I hope not. I hope journalism is much more about 
scoops and nurturing your leads and, you know, finding truths that maybe people don't want found. AI can't do that. And I think we're a long way from AI being able to replicate those parts of the job. Yeah. And we've seen that AI makes a lot of mistakes yes. and um, needs checking. So yeah. if you, you only need to do, do it on yourself and see what it says, apparently I died seven years ago. Some might say that that's about right. But anyway, <laughs> so, all right. So tell us what, uh, just to finish up, what's, what's ahead over the next uh, 12 months? How have you found this year? You know, it was a bit tougher than the last couple of years, wasn't it? Economic, with the macro economic environment what, what are you seeing for the rest of the year and into 24 it's brutal i mean we were we've been we said for h1 that flat is up and we were flat this year and we were pretty happy about being flat um was that the tech nature of your clients or was it yeah bigger, bigger issues than that yeah i think all the big tech companies did their layoffs or reduction in force or whatever they called them in in q1 and q2 um and slashed their marketing budgets right along with that so you know, that hurts us short term, long term, it's usually actually quite good for us when internal headcount gets reduced, because it means, you know, the work still got to be done, they'll tend to turn to vendors over time to, to fill those gaps. Um, not to be like brutal about it. But so I, we're going to be fine long term. But yeah, h one was rough, you know, we were pretty happy to stay flat this year. Um, and I think we're looking towards growth opportunities. You know, our, our business follows the VC investment cycles quite closely, because we're in tech. You know, we're seeing those investments pick up a little bit. That's good for us. We're seeing, you know, the big tech companies have some real breakthroughs in AI and new products coming out. Um, you know, we're right in the middle of flagship phone season. Samsung just had their keynote. Apple's is, I think, in two weeks. Then you've got Google, you've got Qualcomm. So it's going to pick up towards H2 of the year. And the year always ends with a bunch of marketers with leftover budget who need to spend it as fast as they can. So, you know, we're pretty optimistic. You need to get your slice of it. We'll be fine, yeah. All right. Well, we wish you luck with that. Oh, and uh, it's good to find out more about CodeWord. Looking forward to getting your input on some of these stories. Diana, um, we should say Frank's off. He's uh, feeling a bit poorly. So get well soon, Frank. Um, yes, we miss get well you. Soon. And um, yeah, he certainly wouldn't have been able to do a podcast today. So, uh, but he's, uh, he's fine, listeners. Um, tell us about Audi. He refuses to uh, take a day off. I know. He's still he, working he, from home. This morning, he really, really seemed like he should take a day off. But that's. that's <laughs> That's the loyalty he has to the PR Week brand listeners. And you, bringing you those word pictures. Yes. That right, Diana? Indeed, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about Audi of America. About, I think these stories are always interesting, aren't they, about how uh, a big brand is organizing its marketing and communications structure. And yeah. we've done a lot of those recently. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, they've had a bit of a restructure. Um, so Emily Cotter, who um, oversaw communications, she is now the head of brand marketing and communications and CMO. Um, so she reports to Audi of America president Daniel Weisland. And Tara Rush formerly served as the automaker CMO before leaving in July. Um, she is taking a career break uh, to focus on her health and well-being. Um, so Cotter will be responsible for leading Audi of America's new brand marketing team, unifying brand strategy, marketing, and external communications. She joined Audi of America in 2020. And prior to that, she was chief brand officer for nonprofit news organization Marketplace. And she also worked at Fleshman Hillard. 
Yeah, interesting brief there. And first of all, um, enjoy your break, Tara. And I mean, I think everyone would love to do that at the moment. So if you have the chance to do it, um, enjoy. And uh, we followed Tara Heineken, and then she was head of comms at Audi and then took on marketing. So that was an interesting um, rise up. But uh, yeah. having that such a big purview, um, Kyle, what are you seeing? Are you seeing client structures change? Like, to, to be over brand marketing and comms, that's a that's a big remit, isn't it, for a, a, a brand like that? But uh, we've seen lots of different brands doing different things, haven't we? Yeah, and I always you know raise a glass for the comms leads that, that make it to the CMO chair. Yeah, it's great, absolutely. And I think they're they're you know most of our CMO clients either come from sales or from brand or from comms, and maybe don't have as much experience in the other two. I like it when comms people make it to that chair because they tend to have. They, they just move at the speed of the news cycle and move at the speed of the audience and the communities they're trying to reach. So, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. And um, we'd be doing a lot more coverage. And we want to hear from brands. You know, if you want to talk us through your structure, how you're adapting. A lot of it is adapting to there's so much more to do. And that's a good thing because people are realizing how important comms and marketing is and how... It should work together. Um, Barry Rafferty had a spell in on the client side at Wells Fargo, but she's back now with a new role. Um, former CEO of Ketchum, Diana. Yeah, so um, consultancy Maro Sodali has hired Barry Rafferty as CEO of the Americas. It's a newly created role. Um, she'll be based in Stamford, Connecticut and New York. Um, she'll oversee global stakeholder engagement and environmental, social and governance consulting or the global stakeholder engagement and easy for you <laughs> to say, Diana. <laughs> social and governance consulting firms operations in North and South America, um, and she'll report to Alvis Recky, um, who is Moro Sadali's global CEO. Um, and as you said, um, Rafferty was formerly Wells Fargo's head of communications and brand management. Um, she left Wells Fargo in May 2022. Um, after about two years at the bank, and she spent the last year freelance consulting. Yeah, she worked on a big conference, actually, I think, a Women in Business Conference, and I think it's called the C200, or um, and uh, made a big success of that. It's a, a great event, and then obviously she was the CEO at Ketchum. So good luck, Barry, and uh, good to see you back in the industry. Diana, are you excited about Thursday? It's the big kickoff. It's NFL is back. Thank you, you can... so much for uh, for inviting me to talk about this topic. Well, you That's are so our close source. to my heart. You're, you are our surrogate sports <laughs> correspondent, aren't you? I, somehow I am. This yes. is a bit of an in-newsroom joke. But anyway, <laughs> it is the big kickoff on Thursday. What's going on? All right. So um, there's a couple of different angles here. So... Um, I just wanted to note that this year's football season is expected to reach more viewers than usual. Univision struck a contract to air the Super Bowl in Spanish. And this is also YouTube TV's first season as the carrier of NFL Sunday Ticket. So YouTube agreed to a seven-year contract with the league in December worth more than $2 billion per season. So YouTube will take over the consumer version of the Sunday ticket from DirecTV, which um, carried it since it started in 1994. So it's interesting to see how um, how brands are introducing the season. There, there's a lot of, they're bringing a lot of humor into their campaigns this year. 
Um, I can give you a few examples if you'd like. Um, you can give us a couple of examples, Diana. Yeah, okay. love to hear that. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> so the NFL itself is leaning into rumors and humor to introduce the season with a star-studded campaign that highlights how entertaining the league truly is as star football athletes sit for a line reading of this season's script. You're an actor, Patrick. Act like one. Boring. What if we played shirts versus skins? I like it, Kirko. What if we replace my legs with actual wheels? I love it. What if Derrick Henry stiff arms a guy into another? Would it be possible for us to get to page two? Bet MGM has launched a campaign um, starring Grammy Award winning artist Jamie Foxx, created by 72 and Sunny. It's called Doing It Live, um, and Foxx plays the piano at the Nomad Library inside the Park MGM Hotel while athletes from various leagues play their sport, causing destruction throughout the hotel as guests place their bets. Uh, meanwhile, PepsiCo's Frito-Lay and beverage brands have a star-studded campaign featuring current and former players. Um, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Dan Marino, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, and Emmett Smith. Man, I wish I was out there. Let's unretire. Why not? This spot called Unretirement shows how retirement unfolds for these NFL legends. Hey everyone, I've got big news. I'm returning to the game. Corona Extra has joined forces with two-time Super Bowl champion and former New York Giant Eli Manning. And in their campaign, he coaches fans on how to live the fine life in line with Corona Extra's slogan. Um, okay. He's helping the brand recruit football fans to join the Fine Life team and be featured in Coach um, Eli's playbook. So, all right. Yeah, so, creative. who's going to win, Diana? Who's who's your money on? We just you talked about that betting campaign. Will you be placing oh, a little flutter on, on? I I don't want to say. I don't want to embarrass everyone else <laughs> with my Podmaster expertise. Fitz. Podmaster Fitz. Who's your Who's your uh, pick, and uh, how's your team going to do this year? I. My pick is always going to be the Jets, no matter how yes. how poorly they're favored or unfavored. <laughs> uh, but last year that would have been a joke. This year I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good bet. Okay, because so, we've been watching Hard Knocks on exactly, Max, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that Hard Knocks boost. Love it. <laughs> Kyle, have you been working on this YouTube uh, Sunday ticket thing? No, I wish I had. It sounds like there's a lot of money flying around <laughs> in that deal. Love it. Now, what's your take on it all? Well, obviously, it's uh, the biggest show in town in sports, and it's uh, it's a it's it's a money making machine, but oh. it's also everybody everybody loves it. Obviously, um, what do you what's your take on it? I mean, I'm a tech nerd, so I approach sports from the tech side. Like the growth in sports betting, the growth in fantasy is just astronomical. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true, and obviously it hasn't been allowed for that man, yeah. for that long, has it? That was always my thing when I went back to the UK. It was nothing but betting ads on the TV, mm -hmm. but no farmer ads. And then I come back here, and it's all farmer ads and no betting ads. Now yeah. it's quite a lot of farmer ads. Now we've got um, both. Yeah, now you've got both. So <laughs> it's never been easier to lose your money on your favorite <laughs> yeah, exactly. team. Exactly. <laughs> Take some drug, drugs to deal with the stress. But anyway, it's always an exciting time, and we will uh, we'll all be glued to the TV on Thursday, won't we, Diana? Oh yeah, definitely. All right, Me, this <laughs> um, this is a story we always look out for stories on the Friday before Labor Day weekend because it's a good time to bury a bad news story. And uh, it was Walgreens this year who quietly um, announced that Ros Brewer, their CEO, was leaving the company. And um, that's a great shame, really, because Ros was the most powerful black woman leader of a Fortune 
company and uh, there aren't many people of of color running fortune 100 companies so it was sad to see but it was really down to the share price i guess diana that that, that, that did for for rosie's uh, position in the end yeah um walgreens stock has struggled this year as demand for covid vaccines has fallen and retail sales have slowed so um i know that they ginger graham um the lead independent director and a healthcare industry veteran is working as interim chief while they search for um, Roz's successor and they want their next CEO to have a deep, to have deep healthcare ex- experience. So yeah, they've had a lot of changes. Their global chief comms officer, Aaron Radelet, also recently left um, in June to pursue other opportunities. Yeah, and it was said then that they were, they were going to bring in a healthcare specialist, and they did. They brought in uh, someone from Ebony Health. So that's Beth ha- Leonard. Yeah, Beth Leonard. So having a healthcare background was clearly important. Ros was there um, three years. The share price went down 25% in that time. So um, unfortunately, no matter how many good things you're doing in other parts of the business i guess the main stakeholders still look at that it's it's, it's worth pointing out that walgreens stock had been on the slide before then so but uh, obviously ros was brought in to turn that around and i guess the p- powers that be felt she wasn't doing that so um we'll see who gets that job and see if they can do better the sad news this weekend with um the death of musician jimmy buffett who uh is his followers are called parrot heads diana but uh, <laughs> But he also wrote a song about PR. Talk us through all this. So I actually, I had no idea about this song. Um, I listened to it right before this podcast. Um, If anyone else is unfamiliar with it, the chorus lyrics are public relations, public relations, boozing and schmoozing. That's what I do. PR is my vocation and I'm a sensation. Public relations, such hullabaloo. Oh, if and only. Boozing and schmoozing. <laughs> if Kyle, is that, is that about what you do? Oh, it's a dream, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, we heard from some PR pros this week who reflected on how Jimmy Buffett lived the life his songs captured. Chris Ann Goddard, president of CGPR, emailed us to say how he was one of the greatest PR practitioners of all time and was always on message. And... You know, he he had a very varied life. Aside from being a singer, in 1985, he opened a string of Margaritaville-themed stores and restaurants. And he also started his career as a music journalist, working as a correspondent for Billboard. He did. Another journalist going and finding other pastures. Kyle, you knew Jimmy and a little bit and worked worked <laughs> on, yeah, but more importantly you're a parrot head come I, on let's get to, let's yeah. get to the chase <laughs> I sat in a room with him a few times he, he was uh, one of our earliest clients actually on a couple small projects um, did he sing his PR song to you? <laughs> no he didn't but I will say he's got um, he's got a crack marketing team card called the Margarillas and they're just fantastic and I think Jimmy was always I call him Jimmy I, that belies the relationship we actually have. Um, <laughs> but he's a marketing and content genius. Like the guy just puts so much work into the experience of his live shows and his music and cultivating this community of people yeah. around a fairly limited song catalog, if we're being honest. Like he, he doesn't have a string of hits like some big like some bigger artists who made <laughs> who made nowhere near as much money as he did. Yeah, yeah. Um but uh, the Margarillas are great. If you have a chance, follow them on social media. They're okay. they're having a week this week, but they're they're really good at their jobs. Yeah, and there's some other lines in that song about uh, 
pitching journalists and all this, you know, some real in the weeds of what PR people actually do. So it was, it is. Uh, we need a new theme song for I'm the gonna podcast. Be, I'm going to be honest. I didn't love the song, uh, but and I'm not really a parrot head. But um, you know, sad, sad that Jimmy has passed. And um, Ray Karens is a parrot head, apparently, according to his Facebook page. Ray was posting about that too. Um, former head of comms at Bayer and now uh, in, in the agency world. So, uh, yeah, sad to, sad to see the passing of um, um, Jimmy Buffett. But what would we say is our favourite Yacht Rock song? Ooh, of Jimmy's or of anyone? Anyone. I mean, What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers. That, that's, you can't that's come a, that's close to that song, I don't think. Ario Speedwagon for me. Which one? I'm going to keep on loving you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Fitz, you must be. Were you a parrot head? You're a punk, really. Aren't See, you? here's the thing. I, <laughs> I don't know if I was a parrot head, but I grew up on Long Island, and Jimmy Buffett, his concerts at Jones Beach every yeah. year, yeah. were a festival. Yeah, yeah. they started like even, the day before the show. Yeah. He had to be there. So there were many times in my younger days that I didn't even make it into the concert because <laughs> we were too busy in the parking lot with gumbo and all this. You were there with the Margaritavilles. Yeah, right? of yeah. course. My brother's cover band played in the parking lot at a couple of those Jimmy Buffett oh, wow. We, 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 <laughs> so I don't have a favorite. Jimmy Buffett special. All right, let's talk about slightly more mundane things, but important. The return <laughs> to the office. I guess everyone's talking about it and thinking about it after the Labor Day. And uh, Weber put out a memo to all its staff that we managed to see. Diana, what did they say? What's their policy? Yeah, so I it looks like they're actually getting a little bit more flexible. Um, so they're requiring their North America-based employees to return to the office two days a week and use a third day to be in person in some capacity with clients, media, or team members. Um, so that started this week. Um, and in May 2022, the firm announced a return to office um, that was three days in yeah, office. Yeah, I remember so, that, yeah. Yeah, so a slight change there, but seems a little bit more flexible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everybody has seen Labor Day as a sort of, a, okay, well now now we're going to have our policy or now we're going to go three or four days a week. It depends what industry you're in. Obviously, finance, they're more four day, three or four day or five in, if you're at Goldman, I think. Um, Kyle, how are you treating this? And do you have a sort of agency-wide um, mandate, or do you can you do something different at Code Word to the rest of we, or how does it work? Yeah, well, I, I'm happy about full time fall. I think uh, summer Fridays are you know tough on the managers to, to cover all those empty seats sometimes. Um, <laughs> so we're excited to be kind of back in the swing of things. Are your people excited about full time fall? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think some of them are, um, but I uh, we're we're we call ourselves remote first. Um, you know, Were we you had, always remote first? No, no. We, I was actually quite skeptical going into the pandemic. I'm like, yeah, but like you're at home, you're watching reruns. You're not actually <laughs> sitting at your desk working. And I was completely wrong about that. Um, so, you know, I think the years of the pandemic taught me some valuable lessons and we've carried that through and we have office spaces. I think there's value in meetings once in a while, but I mean, I walked over today from the office space. There's probably five members of our team there on any, on a random, yeah. you know, random Wednesday. Yeah, um, and that's fine. We're two days a week, like Weber, and mm -hmm. uh, on Tuesdays the place is packed. Wednesdays a little less so. Mondays and Friday it's tumbleweed, and yeah. uh, you probably get a few people in on a Thursday. So that's where we're at. Well, and I think the org structure matters. You know, we communications is you know I think they've got a three day a week or two day a week policy right now. Um, but you know, we're a smaller, more tight knit agency. We can 
we can have the relationships in a remote space that mm. bigger agencies like Weber would struggle to build. Yeah, yeah for sure. All right, we'll see how that from that rolls out and we'll have plenty more stories I think Diana on companies RTO I'm policies. sure yeah um, for example did I not hear of one agency that's four days a week or is that not uh, for public consumption yet um, who is it I, we're hiring I'll, I'll go t- yeah I think away. that one's not okay we haven't stood that one up I better not get myself in trouble then. I'm going to tune in next time for that name <laughs> yeah um, alright finally uh, Grant Deedy at uh, Zeno has been promoted to president well done to Grant uh, yeah. anything more to add on that or is that yeah, let's see that's the firm's first US president um, so he'll report to the global CEO Barbie Siegel um, he'll also retain his responsibilities as chief culture officer um, and they've had a f- he's he's been there since 1998 which is yeah. pretty impressive um, and, and you know what else happened in 1998 Diana what PR Week US launched in the United oh, States. Oh, of course. That's, we're it's having our year. 25th anniversary party in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we should, um, Grant I'm, should come. He should come yeah. along because it's his 25th anniversary too. But yeah, we, he definitely should. Um, Google was also started that year. Wow. Was it? Yep. That was quite a and year. And Fitz was born that year, I think. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> So yeah, Grant has uh, spent the last six... Oh, actually, Zeno was formed in 1998. Yeah. Yes. Zeno shares its 25th with us. Yes. As does the LeGrant Foundation. It was founded as PR21. Yeah, that's right. It was, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he spent the past 16 years as MD of Zeno Chicago. And um, now stepping into this new position, um, Allison Aaron, who has served as Zeno's Chicago's deputy MD over the last seven years, is now going to be the official MD of Zeno Chicago. Um, And they've also named a bunch of other uh, leadership appointments among their existing staffers. So Kim Metcalf is U.S. head of corporate affairs. Allison Mick Clamrock is U.S. Head of Consumer Brand Marketing. Greg Tedesco is U.S. Head of Xeno Digital Experience. And Missy Mayer is U.S. Head Foodie, which is a fun title. Head Foodie. That sounds like a good job. I could do that. Smoozing and boozing. (laughs) Smoozing and boozing. Indeed. Why not? I'm going to do some smoozing and boozing tonight at the U.S. Open. So, uh, yeah, there's still a bit of that flying around, you know, tennis. Um, All right. Well, uh, congrats, Grant. Thank you, Diana. Great to uh, share the show with you again. Kyle, great to uh, have you on as a guest. Thanks so much. uh, Continued good fortune at Code Word. Don't forget our party on the 21st. It's at Sotheby's. Invite only. It's a hot ticket. So, um, but there might be a couple of spots left. PR Decoded is our annual conference. Great event in Chicago, 11th and 12th of October. With the Purpose Awards, we've got all sorts of brilliant speakers, sessions, celebrations. So uh, make sure you get your ticket for that. 40 Under 40, celebrating the next generation of PR leaders. That's on the 26th of October. PR Week Awards, the Oscars of the PR industry, the 25th iteration of those. They'll be handed out in March, March 14th next year. You've got till uh, the 29th of September for your first deadline on those. So these are bigger and better than ever this year. The 25th Oscars of PR. So make sure you're 
in the game. If you're not in it, you can't win it. So uh, there you go. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. 